Thank you for leading us in that, that, uh, that music. It was beautiful. Uh, so glad to be uh, as a gathering of God's people to sing out like that. I, I was just reflecting on two years ago, uh, right? Well, almost two years ago, when we had to stop singing. And it was hard. It was hard to uh, not be able to do what we just did. So I'm so thankful that we can do this. Uh, it is time now to, for me to introduce Dr. Ewart. Uh, Dr. John Ewart is a um, busy man, uh, and, and uh, if, you got a, uh, if you had an opportunity to read the Family Happenings this week that went out, there was a link there to, his, uh, to the website of his organization called A New Normal, uh, which is the organization that we hired to do our assessment, and uh, there's a, an extended biography. It would take way too much time for me to cover everything that he does, but I became aware of Dr. Ewart through a class on church revitalization. Uh, he's a professor uh, uh, at, at uh, Southeastern uh, Seminary in uh, Wake Forest, uh, North Carolina. Uh, that is just one little part of what he does. Uh, God has opened many doors for him to uh, uh, influence those who are bringing the gospel forth. He's bringing the gospel forth, certainly, but he is influencing pastors, uh, scholars, um, uh, both here in the, in, in the Americas as well as across the globe. So I, I personally think that, um, that God has done a work by allowing us to unite with him in this process of the assessment. And so I, I, I really encourage you to come out this afternoon and, uh, and be part of that uh, church event, church family event. But now I'm going to ask him to come, and he's going to open up for us the word of God, and, uh, and I'm thankful for the message that I've already heard. I look forward to hearing again. And John, please bless us this morning. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here and uh, so thankful for the opportunity to finally be here. I've been working with your leaders now for quite some time, especially because of COVID, which has probably put us a little behind and appreciate so much the the way that the, we've worked and hosted, uh, or you've hosted me this weekend. If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. I will catch up to you there momentarily, uh, and uh, promise we'll stay there uh, once we get there. Uh, but I do thank you for allowing me to serve with you. I, we do have the privilege of consulting with churches all around the world and organ other organizations as well. You, you hear more about that this afternoon if you want to. I do hope you'll come back this afternoon if you can. Uh, it will be, or, and at least uh, watch on Zoom. Uh, it will be, I think, informative. We'll also have time for questions and conversations, so look forward to that um, and, uh, and able to do that. So uh, I, I have worked with hundreds of churches through these processes, and, uh, and it's always interesting, always educational, always remarkable for us to learn uh, about uh, who we are and how we need to move forward together. Uh, and so to benefit from these kinds of moments in the greatest way, we really do need to focus for a few minutes, and that's what the sermon will hopefully help us do, to focus upon what it is that God wants from us, God wants from his church. There's a, a discipline that I teach people. It's a, it's, there's nothing complicated about the words that are on that screen. Uh, the questions are quite simple, but this discipline is very, very difficult. In fact, um, out of the thousands and thousands of church and organizational leaders I've worked with around the world, um, I see very, very few who can maintain this discipline. Uh, but it will certainly separate you. This is not only a discipline for organizations, though. This is a discipline for your life. 
And so this is an important principle to take note of. We need to ask the right questions in the right order. Uh, we need to ask why, then we ask who, then we ask what, and then we ask how. But that's rarely what we do. We, we especially in this culture, uh, I work with in many countries around the world, and, and in this culture we have a hard time with getting past the how. We're pragmatists. We want to know how to fix something. What do we need to do and how do we fix it? What do we need to do to move forward? Uh, but we really need to take a step back and say, why are we doing this in the first place? Why does this church exist? Why do you exist? Uh, why did you get to breathe my oxygen this morning? Uh, why are you here? And so, and who are you and who are you supposed to be? These are questions that will actually define for you the what and the how. The what's and the how's are quite easy once you figure out the why's and the who's. But who, why you're here and who you're supposed to be become very, very significant. And to help us with that, I'm going to use some imagery. I use it all the time, and it's simple imagery, and that's why I use it. It's universal around the world, uh, and people remember this easily. It'll make sense, I think, and you'll latch on to this, and that'll be the part of this you probably remember. But I just, in your mind, I want you to imagine a set of train tracks for a moment. Uh, this afternoon, I'll allude to this again, but just imagine a set of train tracks. Uh, you know, when you're the engineer on the train or a passenger on the train, you don't get to decide where the train tracks go. Uh, you, you don't get to, to decide whether the tracks go to the right or the left. You, you're on a train that's on a set of tracks, and it's a predetermined direction as to where those tracks are going to go. It's been pre-laid by an authority, a, a government, a railroad company or something. And that's the thing about railroad tracks. They go from one point to the next point. It's very certain. You don't have to wonder about that. And I don't get to decide when I get on a train, I really wish this train was going someplace else, so I'm going to make it go someplace. It's on a set of tracks. And so the key is, if I want to get, a, get to point A to point B, the train, in terms of comfort and safety, might be important. But what's really important is that it's on a set of tracks running from point A to B. Because one thing we know about a train, it will not run well off the track. So a train has to stay on track, right? Now imagine for a minute the train itself, and we'll come back to the tracks. So the train itself, not all trains are the same. Some are long, some are short, some are fast, some are slow, some carry this, some carry that. So trains are different. Trains are contextual. Trains are purposeful, right? So I don't get to lay the tracks. And in my spiritual life, in church life, the, think of the train tracks as the word and the will of God. I don't get to decide that. I don't decide whether the church should pray or not. That's not up to me. That's a train track issue. That's laid out in scripture. So that's already set. I don't get to determine that. But building the train is incredibly contextual. So you need to build a train in this situation, in your context, in this moment of history, with these resources, with you people, in this place, at this time, and it needs to be a specific train. Don't go copy somebody else's train. Stop that. That won't do you any good. You can't cut and paste in church life. You don't get to cut and paste in Christianity. You need to build a train in your life where everything is hooked together, running in a single uh, direction uh, according to the word and the will of God. So the church is like the train. Different cars, different ministries, different purposes, different emphases, etc. But are you hooked together, running down the same set of tracks? Because there's an alternative and the alternative, which is also amazingly global, I didn't realize this until I started talking about it, are bumper cars. In Brazil, bachi bachi, the bang bang in Portuguese. 
So bumper cars. People love the bumper cars. People will stand in line for the bumper car ride. People will, uh, will pay money to ride the bumper cars. It's noisy. It, there's sparks are flying. The lights are flashing. The music's blaring. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of busyness around a bumper car ride. Most churches I know operate bumper car rides. This ministry is over here doing its thing. This ministry is over here. Oh, look at that good ministry over there. This ministry is over here doing its thing. The preacher's doing his thing. Music's doing its thing. Everybody's doing their own thing. It's not hooked together in synergy, heading in a known, specific direction. It might not even be the activity. It might be the way you see things. Maybe you as a member, I am so focused on this one thing in the church that I'm not seeing the whole And I'm so focused on that one thing that that becomes my bumper car to where I'm not really engaged in other aspects of my Christianity, my discipleship. And so my complaints or my likes, it can be positive or negative. This is this is what I really love. And the only thing I really love and this is what I'm complaining about all the time. Those can be bumper cars because I don't understand how everything fits together. I don't understand what's next. I don't understand what we're really supposed to do. So the members often don't understand where they're going. Members often don't understand why they're on the ride in the first place. They don't actually go anywhere or accomplish anything toward real spiritual maturity because that's what a bumper car does. Because in the end, all a bumper car does is go around and around in a circle competing for time, space, and energy, bumping into each other. And that's what I see in a lot of churches. That's what I see in a lot of organizations. And I also see it in a lot of personal lives with different aspects of your life. So often because of that, There's no understood value. There's no understood value for the church. You don't know why you're here. You don't know who this is supposed, this whole thing called church, you don't know who this is supposed to help you to become. Or you're not becoming that. Or your kid's not becoming that. So it's like, why should I be here? See? Understood value is a significant thing. I've watched people stand in line for four hours for a two and a half minute roller coaster ride. I see people who will spend thousands of dollars to go to a sporting event. And I see a lot of empty chairs in churches. It's all about value. What's the most important thing? What's the most valuable thing and why in my life? So your discipleship journey needs to be a part of that. And part of the questions that we ask is, are you really making those kinds of disciples? Are you making fruit-producing, multiplying disciples? And how do you know? Is life transformation actually taking place, and how are you measuring that, right? And does the average church member understand what the church or church membership really are and why they are? Does the the average member know the specific next steps they need to take down the railroad tracks to that next destination, that next aspect of discipleship in their life? Do they know that for their children? Do they know that for their students, right? So, bumper cars or train building. I talk about that a lot. Well, you want to build a train that heads in a specific direction towards specific destinations. It'll have different cars. It'll have different ministries. It'll have different emphases. But they're all hooked together, heading in the same place. A family bound together in one direction. And getting on board that train. That's what we're going to talk about in Colossians 3. How do we stay on track? How do we get on board that train? How do we move forward? So in Colossians 3, chapter, uh, Colossians 3, verse 1, that would be chapter 3, verse 1. Let's see what he says in these first two verses. He says this, if then, we're going to come back to that if in a minute. If then you've been raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So we're seeing from the very beginning, I'm going to give you five steps to staying on track. So get ready. Number one, this is going to use all this train imagery unapologetically, not backing off of that because you'll remember it. Number one, keep your eyes on the track. Keep your eyes on the track. Upon who or upon what is your mind set? Where's your focus? Where's that best energy going? Where's your mind? Is it on you or is it on God? Is it on the temporary or is it on the eternal? Because we must allow him to realign our priorities to where? To the things above, to the things that matter to him. Jesus is sitting at the the right hand of the Father, the greatest seat of authority and power in all of the universe. And, And he is interceding on our behalf as he sits by the Father, and he deserves our full attention. He's earned it, and he demands it. These are imperatives, especially verse 2. Set, seek. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. You set. You have to do this. You need to do this if you're going to move forward. Then he goes on. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says in verse 3, for you died. Why do we need to set our minds on the things above? Why do we need to have this focus? Because we have died. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, love that phrase. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is why. Because Christ is my life. Because he has become all to me. My life is not mine, it is his. Only he can save me, only he has. And I'm hidden in him. I'm covered by his blood and his righteousness. The father does not see my filthiness as a sinner. He sees the righteousness of the son, the sacrifice that the son made for me. So he deserves to be my life. He deserves my full attention. He deserves my full focus. He deserves my seeking. He deserves my setting. And the church, this church, must see him as her life in this way. He must be the focus, the train tracks, and what he wants, what his will, what his word is for you. Because you've got to remember, and and I want to be careful I'm using these words, we need to be careful we don't confuse ownership with stewardship. We don't get to own the church. Now, That doesn't mean that we don't own the responsibilities that we have as a disciple. That doesn't mean that we're not responsible. It doesn't mean that you don't love the church. It doesn't mean you're not loyal to the church. It doesn't mean you're not committed to the church. We call it our church. Keep calling it that. That's fine. God doesn't care, I don't think. But we've got to recognize I don't get to control it. I don't get to control the church. The church still belongs to him. Christ never gave up ownership of the church. In Matthew 16, he's in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And he says, who do men say that I am? And he says, you're Elijah, you're John. Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, you didn't think of that. That's good, but the Father gave you that one. And he goes on and eventually says, and upon this truth that I am the son of the living God and your confession of that, I will build my church. So we've got to be careful here. That we don't confuse it. As a steward, I take great care of the master's things. As a steward, I care deeply about what happens. But in the end, I recognize that he is the head of the church and that he is the owner of the church. I actually own nothing. Uh, uh, everything I have has to, has to be recognized as his. I don't own a breath. 
I don't own a heartbeat. I couldn't create one of those if I tried. So life itself belongs to him. And, and we need to be careful. I must be focused enough to ask, what does Christ want? What does he want me to do? These are train track questions. But what are the things that I don't get to decide, but I need to follow? In fact, let me show you. This is just a, a free side note. So this, you know, you didn't pay extra for this. But, but this could be a whole other sermon. But, but let me just show you this 3D pathway to life. Just remember these three Ds. Simple. I, listen, I must be defined by God's word. I must be devoted to him in prayer. And I must be totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And if I do those three Ds, and I do them well, and I do them passionately, then it's amazing how the other things will fall in place. I've got to keep my eyes on the track. Then look what he says in verse 5. He keeps going. In verse 5 he says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds. Got to keep your eyes on the track. But secondly, very, very simply, you've got to determine what to leave behind. Not everything needs to come on board on this train with you. Not everything from back there needs to go forward to the future. So we need to recognize if we're to get on board and move forward in the proper way on the proper set of tracks, we can't bring everything from the past with us. There are things back there that we must leave back there. Things in 2021 and earlier that do not need to be in 2022. Things that happened years ago that have no place in your future. Certain baggage that does not need to be hooked up to your lives anymore. I know people who walk around like they're carrying a backpack full of rocks. You need to get rid of that stuff. There's certain baggage that you don't need to bring. Sinful attitudes, opinions, judgments. Don't pile the luggage of the past on your future. Don't do that. It's unhealthy. Don't pile the luggage of the past on your future. The first thing he needs to hear, God needs to hear from you, is how you're looking forward with excitement to the future, not backward with some sense of, of, of hurt or angst. So draw a line and move forward. Determine what you have to put off, Paul says. What sinful attitude, what action in your life is going to hinder you from personally moving forward in the greatest way in your life and with this church? Is there a secret sin that needs to be thrown overboard and removed from the tracks? Is it anger toward the past or others, some hurt? Maybe it's pride, maybe it's ego, maybe it's fear. Uh, is it your own agenda? Is it a sacred cow? Your pastor mentioned that I'm originally from Oklahoma and now living in North Carolina, but for years I, I was an international missionary in the Republic of Texas. Um, that's a joke. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, I lived down there for about 10 years, and, um, and I've actually worked on two cattle ranches in my life, being from Oklahoma and Texas, so if I wore boots, I, I earned them. And uh, I used to be a bull breeder in Texas, uh, and uh, I know a lot about cattle and whatnot. 
And I don't care what old Western movie might show you something, but I, I'll tell you, one of those old steam engines, it'll, it'll run right through or right over a buffalo laying on a, a train track, I promise you. Now, that's messy. That's a mess. You can call that a cow catcher on the front of a train, but it's a cow tosser, and it's, it's going to be a mess. It's better to get the bull off the track. Okay? So get the old bull off the track so you can move forward. Got it? You write that down someplace. Remember that. Think about that later. So what kind of, what thing of death, what thing of death needs to be removed so that I can live? We must trust. We must walk in the truth, not a lie, he says. We must be honest and transparent with one another. We must hold each other accountable as well. We must believe in a clear biblical definition of church, of church membership of church expectation, of discipleship, and to recognize that the practices or the deeds of the old self will not help me stay on that track. They're going to distract me. They're going to perhaps lure me into a train wreck. We used to walk that way, but no longer, he says. And so you must stay on the proper track, moving in the right biblical direction, individually and corporately. Keep your eyes on the track determine what to leave behind. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 10. He says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So the third thing we need to do is we also need to determine what to bring on board. You've got to get rid of some things, but you've also got to acquire some things. And, and that's true in life. Repentance works this way. True repentance requires true replacement. And that sentence right there is something you ought to write down and take home with you. Probably the most important thing I'll say. True repentance requires true replacement. It's throughout Scripture. In other words, I need to not just remove or stop some sinful behavior. I must fill that focus. I must fill that time. I must... Fill that energy and void with biblical godly behavior. If I don't, then I'm likely to just fall back into the sinful behavior again. That's how the cycle of addiction works. We have to be addicted to something else. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the idea is replacement. Take off, but you better put on. It's not enough just to take off. If you just take off, you're not going to grow. You're not going to mature, and you're eventually going to fall prey to that old stuff again. You've got to replace it with proactive spiritual disciplines and discipleship in your life, in your behavior, in your thoughts, and your actions. So old beliefs and prejudices had to be removed for these listeners. In fact, you've got to think about some of their backgrounds. Some of these people would have been racially and historically and ethnically opposed to one another. In the, in the new church. But they, they had to put all that behind. They had to put that history back there so they could move on together. The old ways of thinking, the old ways of acting had to become new. 
So what missing fruit of the Spirit, what characteristic in your life, what, what characteristic of Christ needs to be adopted in your life in order for you to do that? Because are you going to move forward with luggage? Are you going to move forward with lies? Or are you going to move forward with love? Those are your options. How are you going to do it? So, which do you choose? How will the future display who you really are? This is who we really are. And you can see that by the way we love and the way uh, we take care of one another. Or we do not love one another well. The world will watch. So holding on to past grudges holding and not letting grace release and free you is going to force you off the tracks. So you need to move into the next steps as this church, in the same way that the church in the book of Acts did. If you notice the church in the book of Acts, they were constantly referred to as one. There was a sense of oneness, a sense of unity about them. Hooked together in synergy, same set of tracks, all moving in the same direction. And you have to ask, can there be a perfect bond of love and harmony? Well, it's interesting because in verse 15 he even says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So let, permit, seek, peace to rule your hearts, called one body, be thankful. Now that's a pretty good verse for us to recognize. What kind of church member are you going to be for Christ and to serve here? The encourager of peace? Will you be holy, beloved, compassionate, kind, Humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, putting on love, making one another's ministries and lives one of joy. That's what he's asking. Is this the kind of train you'll help build? Stay focused. You've got to stay on track. You've got to keep your eyes on the track. You've got to determine what to leave behind. You've also got to determine what to bring on board. And then look what he says in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then go to look at verse 23. He says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So the fourth thing we have to remember is we have to remember who's driving the train. You're not driving the train. These, this is the word and will of God. So upon what are you dwelling? What dwells within you? Uh, evaluate the principles. Evaluate the foundations upon which you are making decisions and living your life. Is it Christ's word? Is it your own word? Do you live and learn with thankfulness in your heart? Is that what characterizes you? A spirit of thankfulness. For whom are you living? Whose praise do you seek? What is your motivation for your actions? Do your actions match your testimonies and beliefs? Be fully on board, seeking His glory, seeking His approval. Because the Lord is the engine in a sense. He's the one that's pulling the church forward. It's his power and it's his authority that will do that. So we have to follow his lead to stay on track. We must be constantly focused to do that. And we need to remember. And for some, it may be that they're not ready for any of this because they're not actually on board the train yet. 
So we need to speak to that for a moment. How do I get on board the train in the first place? Well, let me just take you back for a moment to verses 1 through 3. It says, if then, I told you we'd come back to that if. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If, see I must be raised with Christ first. I must be saved. I must be born again. I must trust and accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I must be hidden in Him. I must be covered by Him. I I must die to myself and live for Him. I need to be a believer in order to be on the train. I need to recognize who He truly is because He's driving all of life. He has control over all eternity. He's seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority and power. And again, He's the only one who can save you. He's the only one who has sacrificed himself to do so. He covered us on the cross. He guarantees us with an empty tomb if we'll believe in him. So I have to surrender to him. I have to surrender to his leadership. I have to surrender to his lordship in my life in order to even be on board the train to take those next steps of discipleship and growth. Keep your eyes on the tracks. Determine what to leave behind. Determine what to bring on board. Remember who's driving the train. And then finally, verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then skip all the way to the end, verse 24. He talks about marriage. He talks about our relationships with one another. And then he says this, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Number 5, Look to your final destination. What an eternal perspective these verses bring. When when Christ returns in glory, I too will appear with him. That that makes all the difference. I I will receive a new body. I'll receive an eternal home with him in glory. I, I will receive what has been promised as my inheritance as a true child of God. We serve a, a Lord, the one with all authority and in heaven and on earth, so we can be certain of that reward. We can know, verse 24 says, we can know that this is true. We can know that in the end this is how it will come to play. And the fact that I know how it plays out in the end changes how we engage life now. See, Because the potential is unlimited if we will allow God to lead his church and then we will follow and get on board with him in synergy heading toward that next destination we're going to talk about that more specifically this afternoon several years ago I was in uh, East Africa and I was uh, supposed to preach at a church there I go to Africa a couple times a year usually and uh uh, and so we were in a service, and, and you know, worship services in East Africa are a little different than here. <clears throat> you need to expect them to last three or four hours. Uh, they'll have multiple sermons, multiple choirs, uh, a lot of singing, etc. Uh, there's dancing, there's choreographed dancing that takes place. The, choir, the choirs not only practice their singing, but their dancing. Uh, I said in the early service that, <clears throat> you know, they, they, don't, they don't pass an offering plate, and I know with COVID you all don't either, but but what they do is they have the offering plate down here and they pass the people. So you have to dance and give your offering. 
and then you go back to your seat and they'll just keep you dancing until they've got enough. <laughs> so be thankful that you're in New Hampshire. So I was sitting up on the stage with the pastor and some of the deacons and we were about an hour and a half into the service and the pastor looks over at me he get, and says, okay, it's about time, let's go. And uh, he motions me to walk out of a side door with him. And I thought, well, I thought I was going to preach. Maybe they'd heard me preach and they knew better, you know. But, but I thought I was going to. But anyway, he takes me out and we walk around the outside the back of the building. And I could hear them before I could see it. There was a room back there. It had been dug out underneath the choir loft. And there was a little, little four-foot door there. And I'm more than four feet. And that was by design. You had to bow and, and in a sense, humble yourself to go into this prayer room that they had dug out underneath the choir loft. And I could hear the people praying. Uh, there on that red dirt of Africa that I'm so familiar with, on those mats there, they'd been praying. They'd been praying for that hour and a half or beyond, probably two hours at that point, praying for the service, praying for people to be saved, praying for the word to be spread. And I knelt down on that mat with them, and for 45 minutes they laid hands on me and prayed over me that I might be able to preach the word of God the way that I was supposed to. Preacher looks over at about 45 minutes. He goes, he might be ready. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. I crawl back out of there. He brings me back into the service. They're still singing, still worshiping together. He walks up to the pulpit. He goes, we're going to sing one more song to prepare the preacher because I think he's ready. And you know, if I couldn't preach after that, pray for your leaders. Pray for your church diligently, passionately, because we must be defined by God's word. We must be devoted to him in prayer, and we must be totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit for the next right best steps, and that's what we're trying to do. Father, thank you so much that you do not leave us alone, that you provide for us the guidance you provide for us the direction that we need if we'll simply look to you and your word for it. There are train tracks already laid. And Father, I just pray right now for people who are listening and in this room. Uh, Father, there may be somebody here who is not on board the train. They have never been saved. They've never trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that right now you would speak to their hearts. You would help them to understand that you're real, that your word is true and that Jesus really died on the cross for them, and that they can trust in him as their Lord and Savior, the only one who could have saved them. And they could be saved today. For others here, Father, I just pray that they will diligently seek you to, to ask you, what do I need to leave behind? And what do I need to bring forward? And how can I get on board fully to help us move down the track? So, Father, as we sing, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. You'll show us how you want us to move and who you want us to be. Because, Father, we know why we're here. We're here to bring you glory and to join you in your mission to redeem the nations. Thank you for that. In Christ's name.